Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Rusty, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And holy smokes, welcome to a gorgeous, what probably one of the best weekends you could ever imagine from, or best weeks you could ever imagine from Wisconsin, because it ain't got awful hot. It's been like 60s and 70s and sunny and gorgeous. And we are joined this week by Robert Craig, who's been on vacation enjoying this gorgeous weather he picked the best week ever for vacation but he thought he'd come off vacay to talk with us today robert craig somewhere in very north wisconsin robert where are you i'm in a cottage on cheetak lake matt i'm sure is a lifelong yeah, wisconsin I, you know where cheetak is northwest wisconsin uh 20 miles south of uh rice lake well that's great we're glad to have you on your vacation, Robert, but you, we are not alone. We are also joined by Priscilla Board, our movement politics director here. Priscilla, good to have you, too. Awesome to be here. I'm also a lifelong Wisconsinite, but I don't know where things are in the state. So <laughs> you could be like right next door and I'd be like, that sounds like a really great lake. Uh, but also <laughs> enjoying the beautiful blue skies that we have had this week. You know, and I'll just add, not only has the weather been gorgeous, but if you haven't been outside to see the moon the last few nights, you have missed an extraordinary light show. And I be- was it last night that was the blue moon or is that actually tonight? was last It goes night. from last night to tonight. I think it's back tonight again, too. All so right. if you missed it, I think you can look outside tonight and see it again. Okay, so in that tonight being Thursday, so if you're fortunate enough, uh, Brian has been fantastic. We've been getting the show out uh, early Thursday evenings or sometimes even late afternoon. So if you're fortunate enough, get out. If you're listening this Thursday, go check it out. Um, Milwaukee was literally lit up like it was something kind of like somewhere around sunset all night when that moon was not under clouds. It was just astounding. But folks, again, we often say this, you don't come here for weather reports, uh, things like that for us. You come to talk politics and we intend to do that. We have an extraordinarily busy show. Um, Later in the show, we're going to be joined by our resident in-house economist, uh, Dr. Michael Rosen. And we're going to talk more about the stadium issue Um, we're going to, and we're going to talk specifically much more concretely about a concept that we unveiled on the show a few weeks ago. And that's the idea of potentially some public ownership or an equity stake within the Milwaukee brewers and, or in return for this just egregiously insanely large amount of money they want for the stadium. They, excuse me, the billionaire owner, right? Uh, Mark Antanasio, but we're going to talk more about that later in the show with Michael um, but before we do that, there's a there's just a bevy of uh, federal, uh, national, and state issues to talk about. We will um, talk about what's going on on the, our college campuses this week with shooting, but we're going to start by just at least acknowledging and addressing yet another Category 4 hurricane hits the Florida coast because it goes through insanely hot waters of the Gulf. And let's be honest, the Atlantic's very hot too on the other side, but the Gulf is, it's almost like a a hot tub and a category four hurricane that comes out of nowhere, a tropical storm. Robert, I'm going to give you the lead and then Priscilla, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, Obviously this is connected to global warming, just like the wildfires we've been talking about. Robert, then Priscilla. It's a reason this election is so important. Belatedly, by the skin of his teeth, President Biden got through the Inflation Reduction Act, which is largely a climate bill, which is our first major move since we're increasing emissions every year, actually, despite scientific certainty of global warming since at least the 1980s and knowledge since the 1950s, clear knowledge. Um we're finally taking action, but we are at a quick deadline. And this this is the new normal. We've already raised temperatures. Uh, the question is, will we raise them so far that it's a- absolutely catastrophic? And so you have this, the, you know, the right wants to dismiss and the all the uh, think tanks funded by the fossil fuel industry want to dismiss 
um, all that's going on. This is yet another 100-year event. And I don't know if there are odds available. Uh, they probably are not. One should bet on more, a lot more 100-year events than over and under every year. I don't think Las Vegas offers that. Uh, but we need to do even more. And President Biden is running on finishing the job. And that is so much more important than most of what stands for issues in, in the media. And so Milwaukee's taken a ma major step. The state is going to announce the legislature take uh, uh, some bold proposals, to put, at least before the voters. So let we need to focus on the fact that as scary as this is, this is imminently manageable. The scary thing is getting the leadership to do it. Well, well, that's scarier than the science. <laughs> we know how to fix this, we and it will actually create more prosperity and equity to do. Well, Robert, that's a great transition to Priscilla. And 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 by the way, let's let me just remind our listeners. Last week we talked about how climate change was brought up at the Republican debate, and not only did most of them continue to say it doesn't exist. Uh, the two that actually spoke up and said it does basically said they want to do nothing other than wait for China and India to do something about it. So, Robert, that is the scary thing. Right. And to Priscilla, to you. Right. Like like, do we have the political will? And of course, Robert did tease this, Priscilla, and I want your thoughts. The 2024 election like it's this is vital and this should be the defining issue. Yeah. Uh, but interesting. You're seeing. Uh, some of the conversations on Twitter around this of people saying, oh, we have to stop politicizing these type events. Like, no, we don't. Like, we don't even have to politicize them. They are naturally politicized. Um, so this this does set the stage for 2024, both spring and fall, that this is not just a presidential issue. This is a local issue whether we are here in wisconsin battling the heat that we just had or in arizona where they had what like 15 straight days of over 105 degree heat where pets couldn't even go outside because their pot it was too hot so this these things get naturally politicized and we have to be as ready as possible as ready as you can be you know somebody who doesn't ex we we don't experience these hurricanes i don't know how to get ready for a hurricane but people do and we could get better planning and better prevention so this is this is the time to to stop this otherwise there's not really going back anymore these are just going to keep going well look i i think you both said it best this is the defining issue quite frankly of the 2024 election we know their abortion when i say the defining issue what i mean is there are critical issues that are going to make or break what happens we all know abortion is already there going to be there. There are a number of other issues. The basic economy, we talked about Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie Sanders this weekend continues, and he's been on tour all this week, re-injecting the vital importance of taking on corporate wealth and power and actually finishing the job on the economy and that we're not done. That, along with this, right, and how those intersect climate is vitally important in this election with that though i do want to turn to the one other big national news this week in addition to the shootings which we're going to spend a whole segment on and that was the medicare price negotiations and in particular these negotiations around prescription drugs and this comes out of the inflation reduction act robert mentioned its primary climate bill but one of the other big pieces was this and uh, this week uh, the 10 drugs were announced it it is worth noting, once you can actually read the 10 drugs, this becomes a lot more real for a lot of people. Uh, and folks, this is not enough. Let's be clear. Uh, the industry is still fighting this. There should be more drugs on this list. But Robert, your thoughts and then Priscilla, on, um, it's it's pretty historic effort to push back against pharma and some of the same interests uh, that we talked about early in the show, Robert. I think we need to be able to hold two thoughts. It is a vital breakthrough, but it is only one step, and it is imperfect. We have trouble with that on the left. If it's not everything we want and need, then then we're demoralized. We can't be that way. It was incredible. This is like the first piercing of the fortress that is Big Pharma and its domination of both parties. And so they got it written in to 
the expansion of Medicare and partial privatization, Medicare Advantage, that and, and the and, and creation of uh, of the uh, pharmacy benefit, Medicare Part D, that you can't negotiate with them. This is when they have government created monopolies for research. All the basic research done by the federal government, we're giving them the ability to charge whatever they want, and they have successfully fought off any attempt to set the price or negotiate the price as every other advanced economy does in the world okay this is uniquely american and it's why people can't afford their medications because of rampant profit taking uh it's extraction of resources from us uh, economists i know we're gonna have one call it rent seeking that is you find a way to be able to charge an exorbitant price and you're using power or positioning, not anything you're about to any value you're adding. And this is mild. This has a list of 10 drugs that we'll negotiate on, and we're negotiating based on the earlier too high price, so it's not even as low as it should be. But it's going to save billions, that's how much they're making, and they have it in court. And so it's a big deal. You can add additional drugs later. It's only for Medicare, not for all of health care. So that's a step that the Republicans, this isn't being said clearly, they would not allow that. That's what would have killed it in the filibuster. It was in the original Inflation Reduction Act plan. Uh, but they're taking it to court and claiming that this is a violation of the Constitution. They have a right to set a price no matter what. Uh, yeah. That it, So this is going to right-wing Trump pack and bush pack judiciary and with that we're going to take our first break on the back end priscilla we're coming back to you for further comment on this folks you're listening to the battleground wisconsin we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org but i really recommend you check us out make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram to see what we're doing on a daily and hourly basis Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Priscilla, right before we took a break, Robert laid out, you know, basically what's going on with these uh, price negotiations and how big pharma is fighting this. But I'm coming to you and again, yet again, similar to what we talked about with climate change. This is like Robert said it. This is hardly the end. We need more. And that requires what? new elected officials, a new Senate, uh, uh, excuse me, a different house. Uh, Priscilla, your thoughts on uh, the historic piercing of pharma, as Robert put it, but also what still needs to be done. Yeah, this is this is a good stepping stone and we needed something to get the ball rolling. But as uh, you've both said, it's it's not enough. Ten drugs is not enough. Just for those on Medicare is is not enough. Uh, so it's a good stepping stone, um, and it's one of those issues that multiple people can run on. Uh, it does not. This is not just a Democrat progressive issue. There are Republicans who are suffering to struggling to be able to afford their medication and would also like to have better negotiated drug prices. So this is one of those rare issues that actually can be done across the aisle. Uh, so definitely encourage all the Democrats listening to this. If you're going to run, uh, please think about running on affordability, accessibility. We, we need it. It's a winning issue and it needs it's another thing that we can't go back on. We need to fix this now before pharma can get even more out of control. I can't even think about what else that they could try and do because they're not but, done. Priscilla, that's an excellent point about this issue, particularly with Republicans. Um, let's remember, Trump did extremely well with older folks, right? And he cut in. This is an issue that like, they can look on that list, a lot of us and, and other folks who you know need insulin and other things and see how their life can be really different, right? And how we can do more. And so this is ab absolutely a critical congressional issue. And I want to remind folks, Priscilla brought up the issue, not one Republican member of Wisconsin's delegation voted for this, okay? They all voted against it. So yes, 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 we should be talking about this issue because it impacts so many people and it's a real tangible thing 
And those drugs and the listings of those drugs are important. Please, if you haven't, share that with your friends on Facebook so they can see, right? So they can see if this is going to impact them directly. It's we, we rarely get things that are this kind of hard, tangible, real, and that are up against a significant opponent like the pharmaceutical industry. With that, though, I want to turn to... <sighs> We have to talk about it again, the absolutely tragic situation that went on at the University of North Carolina that goes on all over this country every week. Uh, also, we had a, 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 a another shooting in Jacksonville. Priscilla, I'm going to send this to you, but just, you know, the proliferation of guns, the North Carolina shooter, I don't want to get into the details, but this was not some you know, person who fits, oh, they have severe mental health issues, all this stuff. This was someone who clearly like was triggered by something, had access to weapons and boom. Priscilla, your thoughts. Um, I know this is something that is, you know, very, very passionate. You're very passionate about. And I also would love to hear your thoughts on how the North Carolina students and their paper responded, which I think is instructive to all of us. Yeah, um, gun control is definitely the the first fight that I ever got into, um, and it's an exhausting fight because that was like a decade ago, and it's only it's going the wrong way. Um, but it's 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 an easy place to get frustrated at because it feels like there's nothing that we can do about it. But that's only what it feels like. We know that there are so many things that can change that, again, elected officials are refusing to change. But uh, to talk about UNC, um, if you haven't looked it up, it's all over social media. The Daily Tar Heels front page was just text messages from students to other students, to their families, from families to students of where are you? Are you safe? What's going on? I'm hearing reports. I'm in class. I'm locked down. And it's, it's, it's terrifying. I I had a lockdown situation when I was in college and I remember it very vividly because it was it was scary. Uh and this also happened on the first day of school for for elementary and middle and high school students in the area. So these these kindergartners have a lockdown situation on their first day of school. They didn't even make it through a full day of their first day of school before they're thrown into this culture so quickly. Um, and again, like like Matt said, we are a no notoriety organization. We're not gonna give give this person the name uh of of who they are, even down in in Jacksonville. Um, and to flip over to to Jacksonville too, we know the targeted folks there. We know that this shooter tried to carry it out at an HBCU uh and and couldn't over there. Um and you know it's very real to be in Florida where these students now won't even learn if if DeSantis has his way. Uh, and the whole, um, you know, we can't talk about race goes through down there. They'll never learn as to why the shooting even happened. So uh, it's 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 exhausting and it's so heartbreaking that this keeps happening and that we keep in this mindset of, oh, nothing, nothing can be done. There are red flag laws. There are loopholes that we can stop. There is legislation that can happen. Well. Robert, I want to get your thoughts. And Robert, I'm going to come to you because we're of a different generation than Priscilla. And I'm always struck when these happen by that gap. And this, the response of the North Carolina paper, and, and I listened to the editor on the news hour, just reminds me of the stark, awful world we have handed down. We never had those. I did not have active shooter trainings. In high school, we had weird stuff like fallout shelter stuff, but like I could rationalize that even as a young kid, understand what that risk was. It was terrifying. This is so hard to rationalize and understand as a child and not understand why adults won't step up and do the right thing. And read, read those emails, read those text messages feel the horror the terror it's just got to stop 
Robert, your thoughts? Uh, you're right. There was it was receding. It wasn't the fifties, but there was still the hangover of the the nuclear threat in schools. I mean, the thing I remember occasionally there was some sort of upset that that a kid was caught with a knife in his pocket, a pocket knife. There was never a gun or any threat of a mass shooting. Now it's really rational for those uh, UNC kids to be terrified when they hear there's a shooting going on. I mean, one state over in their same athletic conference is Virginia Tech University, where someone did go through the campus shooting uh, student after student and faculty after faculty. And so, and we know a lot of high schools that has happened, even kindergarten. It, it's not a more violent country now. It's not a country with higher mental illness than now. It is a country with a lot more guns and a lot less public safety regulation of guns. And it's a country that is divested from any real responsibility for mental health. And a lot of this is mental health. The, 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 the defenders of the NRA and a freakish right-wing vision of the Second Amendment, which distorts it completely out of historical context, they say, they'll say mental health, they don't even support small measures on mental health. You need a comprehensive system. You need a comprehensive government response. They're against all of that. They don't want to spend the money. They just want to give all the money to corporations and billionaires. And that's what their, where their policy leads. And so they, they refuse to debate it, like we're seeing in Tennessee now, where, again, one of the young uh, African-American state representatives uh, the one who was who was kicked out and then returned to the legislature now is has been silenced in the legislature for daring to bring all of this up. And it's really clear we need a guaranteed right to health care generally and to mental health care is equal and on parity with physical health care. We need to enforce the existing laws better there as well, because insurance companies are flaunting it and and providing not enough access. We need a major investment for that capacity, the number of providers we need. But that is a solution. And, and on controlling guns, there are limits within our constitutional framework. Some of what's being proposed by Democrats is common sense. It will not solve this whole problem. At least it's a step. But we need to be serious that there's a lot more to, to address in terms of violence prevention that is much broader and comprehensive and has to do with the entire progressive criminal justice platform and agenda, which also needs to be implemented as it's beginning to in a place like Chicago with uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson. Well, before we go to break, I'll just close by saying, look, these are all, you, you both made amazing, outstanding points. We have a cultural problem that has bled into our politics that makes this feel intractable because what you all just discussed requires kind of like an adult conversation. It requires thoughtfulness. It requires give and take. It requires a deep understanding of what's at stake and a shared desire to solve it. And our body politic lacks that right now. It lacks the ability to have this type of conversation that is going to require to, to do things like this unless... And here's the reality. I'm sorry, but the Republican Party has chose to step out of these conversations, this mega party, and it's not changing, folks. Trump, Trump's going to be their standard bearer. So the reality of this, this is yet now the third topic we have discussed that requires an electoral solution next year, that requires a commitment of all of us to understand that this is going to be a critical election. We have to take back that house. We have to win the presidency, right? Because all of these issues are at stake. And the only way we're going to even start to have a discussion that is based in logic, common sense, and a shared vision is if we put, unfortunately, more progressives and more Democrats in these places of power. And we'll talk more about that on future shows. But we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Um, we're going to move to the state of Wisconsin because there's a lot of big stuff going down. We're not going to probably be able to get to it all, but I'm going to start by just saying, listeners, if you have not read Justice Dalit's 
letter to Justice Ziegler. You need to. We'll put a link to it. She basically calls out Justice Ziegler and just says, look, you are the one <laughs> who's essentially being lawless, who's not cooperating. And just it's a it's a it's a very important article to read um, because it it helps lay out the facts of the situation and really demonstrates a lot of what we talked about last week. I think when we talked about uh, it was either last week or two weeks ago um, when this first sprung up, how this was obviously Dalit responding terribly. Um, Priscilla, your thoughts on uh, on this issue? Yeah, um, this issue slash like non-issue because like the Republicans are just trying to make it be such a such a big thing. Uh, what it's like, all of y'all have taken party donations. So if we're gonna go this route, then we need a full new court. But besides the point, oh, that uh, <laughs> yeah, that little tiny point right there. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that this this happened. Um, I'm glad that that she called uh, her rightfully out. We need to get into a place where we are taking on these issues head on and not just quietly in the background and hoping something good happens, but being like, no, what you're doing is ridiculous. Like, this is not why we were elected. Like, let's do our elected job. Let's stop getting distracted by everything. Let's follow all of the same rules and laws because one of one party is not above the law and another party is not below the law. So I'm glad that, that she, wrote it that she's calling it out that that they're not letting you know Ziegler and everybody else kind of just do this with no you know repercussions robert um i know you've been on vacation but i'm i'm, I'm sure you've been uh, following this don't know if you had a chance to actually read the letter or not but um let's let me just say i before i hand it to you thank you justice dallet and kudos to you for reading the environment right and understanding that this shouldn't just be a private confidential letter and rising to the occasion. And I, and by the way, I'll just say, and Robert, if you want to comment on this, this was a part of justice Dallas election. Justice Dallas went through a primary where this whole politicization and the partisan nature of the court and trying to honestly take that on and not pretend it didn't exist was a key part of that primary debate and Dalit learned, listened and learned. It, it was a very effective general election that seemed to understand and learn that from her primary opponent. I know we challenged her very strongly in, um, in the primary and in our interviews and discussions. And I am super impressed. She is um, at a couple of key points under her uh, while she's been on the court come out publicly at key moments when this has been very political partisanized in a political way and, and just called it for what it was. And so I say, thank you to her for that. Robert, your thoughts. Uh, Matt, I did read justice Dallas letter because you sent it to me, <laughs> even though I'm on vacation and I share your view that I continue to be impressed with justice Dallas ability. And What's happened is, is that Chief Justice Ziegler has gone out and misrepresented and politicized it entirely. It carried on a, a, a misleading Fox News-style public campaign against the majority. And Justice Dallet, you know, says it's regretful, says she felt like she had no other option given Justice Ziegler's tactics and refusal to participate internally in the actual process making decisions. And then lays her low point by point on all her misrepresentations. So this is how you respond to the right wing's penchant for disinformation and creating non-issues and making those who are doing the right thing somehow seem like they did something wrong or unethical, right? And so this is a model because here's the other threat coming down uh, the pike bigger than this, and that is the threat to impeach uh, Justice Protasiewicz. Uh, come and Voss is still giving lip service to that. I was talking about it on the Earl Ingram show yesterday, and at this point, they have the power to do this if they can get every Republican vote 
to both impeach in the assembly and then to vote conviction in the Senate, the only thing that could stop it is a public campaign that makes that politically impossible and sets up election consequences and potentially influences the one or two senators that might be open uh, to public pressure. And so we're not doing that right now. You're having silence from the broader Democratic establishment. That is a huge mistake. Dalit has chosen, in this case, not to be silent, though they showed a lot of patience, and they have re- revealed for the record very clearly who is politicizing it. And remember, well, what Republicans like to do is they politicize things and accuse the other side of being political by responding or, or addressing it at all, like doing climate change, doing health care is political because they've made it political, not because they're yeah. naturally political. Yeah, so ab- absolutely. And it, it's what's super important about it is when folks like us consume it and make sure we send it out but the media and the folks who cover the story and some of them you know giving way too much credence to Ziegler's sort of portrayal get this and read it it helps them better understand what's going on from from the other side and it, and and it does it in a way that gives them fact-based ability to counteract as the story evolves but folks, we got to move on. I, this was a great discussion, and, and we will talk more about this because it ain't going away. Um, and look, I put this in a much broader frame of let's remember, unfortunately, the one thing we can say about those Republicans is they use every damn bit of leverage. If they find a nail clipper around, they figure out how to use that nail clipper. If they find a hammer, they will use the hammer. And our side, I'm still, wait. I'm still waiting to hear from our attorney general. How about we just charge fake electors where we have other attorney generals doing it? There appears to be a mallet laying around. No, I'm sorry. Uh, we we need to we need to move on. <laughs> That's just a broader uh, another broader gripe, folks. We have have a few more minutes in this segment. We're going to welcome our guest who has joined us. We. Uh, told you at the very beginning of the show that uh, Dr. Michael Rosen was going to join us, and uh, he has. Uh, Dr. Rosen, good to have you. I'm there glad to be here and uh, glad that Ziegler and her, her crowd have not succeeded in stealing my vote, which I was listening to your segment. And to me, what we're seeing is the steal the vote crowd, which Ziegler was one of the Supreme Court justices who voted to nullify the vote of Wisconsinites in the uh, election uh, of Joe Biden and supporting Trump, now are trying to steal our vote uh, and undermine the fact that we voted overwhelmingly for Justice Protasiewicz. And I think people really need to think of it in that context. It's absolutely what's going on, right? And and remember that just the overwhelming victory that they're trying to overturn with this. And and the election was about those real issues and those real cases that will be decided. It's not like the voters didn't take that into consideration when they made their judgment on who they were going to support. Well, Michael, we did not have you on to talk about that, but I appreciate your comments. And um, we will have to go to break in a, a couple of minutes, but I wanted to at least give, you know, use this uh, before we go to break to introduce the topic. We, we had you on because... We wanted to talk to you more about the Brewer Stadium. Um, since we've last talked about this subject, it has not gone away. Um, Mark Antanasio, the billionaire owner of the Brewers, was in town this past weekend. I'm sure he was very busy talking to um, legislators and making his pitch to basically take close to, when all said and done, really half a billion dollars almost of will whether it's state, local, what the mix is of taxpayer money. And Michael, we wanted to have you come on because we put this concept out a couple of weeks ago on the show, the idea that the only way that that ever should happen, really, quite frankly, is if we as taxpayers could get an equity share in the brewers for that significant sum of money in order to make sure that when the team is sold, right, that we get our money back and actually uh, get rewarded for the massive escalation in value of these teams. Michael, tell us more about this idea and why you think it's so important. Um, you got about 90 seconds or so, and then we'll go to break and we'll, we'll talk more about it. 
Well, let's just start with a couple facts. The brewers are a privately owned enterprise that are, that are seeking seeking public subsidy to, and they are threatening if they don't get that subsidy to leave the community. The brewers not only are privately owned, but they have increased in value from the time that Antastasio bought them from 232 million to over $1.6 billion. One of the major reasons that they're so valuable is because of the stadium that the public built, the stadium that the public built. And so if we are now being told that we have to again invest in the stadium, the premise is that like any good investor, you want to return on your investment. And the return on the investment is not simply a competitive baseball team. We're all glad for that. But the return on investment has to be in hard dollars, just as if you were investing in Apple or if you were investing in uh, Foxconn or if you're investing in any enterprise as an investor, you want to return on your investment. And that's the notion of an equity investment. If we, if the public puts in a half a half a billion dollars into the into renovating the stadium, in addition to keeping the brewers here for longer than they have now, they are now committing, which is really only till twenty forty. Uh, there should also be a return on the investment to the taxpayers or to the state or to the local government, whatever entities end up putting the money in. And with that, Michael, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and dive in deeper to this and get into a, uh, a number of nuances that are really important behind this argument. Folks, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are talking with Dr. Michael Rosen uh, about the effort by the Brewers billionaire owner to try and get uh, close to a half a billion dollars of uh, state taxpayer money uh, for nothing. And we think that's absolutely crazy. Um, and we and Michael very eloquently laid out are think that there ought to be for the state or whoever, uh, us as taxpayers, an equity investment to make sure that we are made whole uh, on this uh, significant and important investment. Michael, so I want to get your response to this. Um, Okay, this this seems to make sense to me. Um, this seems like a good idea. It seems fair. Um, I assume the Brewers, right, and like Major League Baseball, just be like, no, 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 we we don't want this. Uh, like, tell tell our listeners why that line is not acceptable, and it's time to push past that. Professional sports teams, not just Major League Baseball, but. It's true of uh, the National Football League uh, and the NBA. They've all developed a model where they play cities and states off against each other uh, and and uh, in order to get huge subsidies. And they threaten states and cities that if they don't subsidize these private entities, these private entities that in the case of most, in most cases are owned by billionaires who are going to, going to make a lot of money when they sell the franchise because these franchises keep, keep going up in value exponentially. Uh, they keep threatening communities. It's time that communities, that states and local governments take a stand and say, we are not going to allow a handful of billionaires to play us for suckers because that's essentially what's being done. Uh, in many ways, uh, we've already experienced that in Wisconsin with Foxconn. Foxconn came in and promised a huge number of family supporting jobs and never delivered. Uh, fortunately, uh, Governor Evers has given them a haircut, but they're still getting significant public money and local taxpayers uh, pay, spent almost a billion dollars in infrastructure and other costs and all kinds of homeowners were displaced uh, because of this private multi-billion dollar company 
coming in and promising roses and giving the state thorns. Yeah, look, you, uh, you're you're right, Michael, to put this this project, this effort in that context, because I think that's extraordinarily appropriate. Um, I want to give uh, our panel an opportunity to follow up with questions. But before that, I, one other thing I want to add to this that I think is important. I really and I hope. Um, and we're going to have a place where if you're listening to this and you're like, hell yeah, this is a great idea where you can sign on. We're going to have a petition. We'll have an attachment to to say you support this. We want to build support for this, not only here in the state among our elected officials, but nationally. It is time to end this. There are, you know, I've not done the math, but there can't be more than 75 major league cities, i.e. between, let's say, NBA Major League Baseball and the NFL, I'll guarantee you almost a, well over a majority, if not almost all of those cities are largely cities of color. They are dealing with tremendous financial structures, the way this uh, uh, country funds local governments, especially large multiracial cities. And the, look at the stress Milwaukee was under. We just passed a 2% sales tax increase to try to rescue us. But yet now we're supposed to give billions, give or give half a billion and, and hundreds of millions maybe out of Milwaukee to this owner. It's time these cities actually get together and start to talk about this. They're this, w taking money from us is a part of their business model. It's got to stop. The, the irony is the brewers are asking to be the first in line once we pass this regressive sales tax. And only a month ago, we people were saying that the city was on the verge of bankruptcy. Now, that might have been a little bit of hyperbole, but they we were facing an existential financial crisis in the city and the county. And as soon as the sales tax was passed, or actually while that was going on, the brewers were spending more than half a million dollars lobbying the state legislature uh, they spent more money than any other lobbying group in the state, even more than the great uh, the manufacturers and commerce, which is generally the biggest lobbying group. They spent that money lobbying the state that yeah. that shows you they have the money. Oh, absolutely. But, but what they're doing is essentially trying to get a subsidy because they think they can. And. Milwaukee has more leverage than a lot of people think. Generally, in these negotiations, people think, well, we're going to lose the team and the, unless we pony up. In this case, in this case, Milwaukee has a great fan base. Win or lose, we always turn out. People turn out for the team. And baseball's demographics are generally older and whiter than the demographics for, for example, the NBA. And as a result, Milwaukee is a prime location for a major league baseball team, as opposed to some of the other cities, Matt, that uh, you mentioned or yeah, may and, have mentioned, and, and, like Nashville, uh, and, as an example. And Michael, Michael, let's be clear. This this team has always been a state team. I know it says Milwaukee, but this team functions by folks coming in. Its location next to that freeway system makes it a state team. It is set up in a way where we essentially have a stadium and a parking lot, which means the city, we do not leverage the value of it. It makes this thing less of an economic asset to us. It it makes the reason why a piece of equity is the really the only way we can be made whole and actually reflect the values the brewers are trying to jam down our throats. And that's, that's right. That, that's Remember, what this team is a is that we own it. I want to give Priscilla an opportunity and Robert an opportunity to ask a question. Priscilla, you go first, then Robert. All right. Um, yeah, definitely want to thank you for for laying all of it out. Um, I think there can be a lot of confusion around this because people hear Oh, the brewers are threatening to leave, and th that's all they they hear. They don't understand what exactly is is going on, um, other than like, well, why would they leave? What are we gonna do if they if they leave? So I appreciate you laying all of it out. Um, 
what what would you tell people who are confused about this who don't quite understand the the logic behind what is happening in like the most simplest terms uh what what can you help those people to understand of why this is happening i think i think the simplest terms are that milwaukee is a good home for baseball we have a good fan base this is a private company private entity that is growing exponentially in value the owners are going to walk away like bandits and if we're going to put more public money in just as the bucks made agreements with the community so should the brewers remember that when the Brewers st new stadium was being built, there was an effort and a discussion to build it downtown and Bud Selig and others vehemently opposed it. And as a result, the benefits that accrue to locating a stadium downtown to the local businesses and to the employees didn't occur. And even to the tax base didn't occur. And so they insisted that it be built out on the high freeway so that people could tailgate and have access and not have to come downtown. Uh, as a result, we have to demand something in return for our investment. And that's an equity stake. Any investor, when they put money in to a, a profitable company, do it because they want a return on their investment. And that's what we're asking for. Robert. I know we only have a couple of minutes left, Michael. Thank you for laying all of that out. Um, the way I see this, I want to get your brief response. Uh, the way Major League Baseball and the other major sports are acting and the billionaire owners of these franchises is very similar to the corporations and the way they have played off communities for about location for yep. massive corporate subsidies and giveaways which is a terrible way to create jobs, but it's the major economic development tool in most regions, partly because of the political power of business. And so Foxconn, this is Foxconn, except there actually might be a team. There's nothing clearly <laughs> created by Foxconn, uh, which may be even worse if you like not getting the brewers and subsidizing the brewers. But what's interesting to me is, is that Republicans and a lot of centrist democrats over the years have talked about running uh government like a business well what business would just give away its assets for <laughs> anything in return if we're going to act like a business in fact they treat uh, uh public you know cities and and we're talking about the large multiracial cities across the country as matt pointed out as marks that they can just target to extract money from and then they extract by having by having the team and getting all of the value of the asset. They're making the appreciation of these teams as such that this is an appreciating asset that we're contributing to. We should get something in return. And that would mean giving a, a, an appropriate equity share for the money that then increases in values until the sale. And therefore, the public gets something back, a win-win. Isn't that, Michael, how business deals actually work between, uh, you know, partners in, in business? Well, that's that's supposed to be the way it works in a capitalist economy. You know, the irony here is that uh, when we talk about Medicare for all, or when we talk about uh, subsidizing child care so that uh, workers can actually uh, uh, live a decent life and have their children taken care of. Uh, the uh, we're, we're called socialists. What we really have in this country is socialism for the for the billionaire class. The 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 use of public funding to support things like Foxconn to subsidize professional sports owned by billionaire teams, you know, is using the state and the public resources to support private enterprise. Whereas the theory, Robert, as you're saying, the theory of capitalism, the way capitalism is supposed to work is you invest privately and there the return should accrue to you privately. Well, if, if it becomes a public private partnership, which is what these professional sports teams have become, a, a massive subsidy, then the public investor has every right to demand an equity share. In addition, yep. 
I think the point Matt made is is a good point. I think our mayor and our county exec and others need to start talking to other leaders in other municipalities and say, look, let's end this game. Let's end this game. There's no reason that communities that are so uh, struggling with resources to fill potholes, to remove lead uh, uh, lines, uh, to fund their public schools, that they should be prioritizing billionaire, privately owned sports teams. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I appreciate you coming on and helping us call this out. I, I'm a bit amazed that like there's been you know not as much around this and all the only discussion has been like who's gonna pay how much should the subsidy be so really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking with us today and i want to tell our listeners please we're gonna have a link if you think this is a great idea sign this petition please share this petition um we are having conversations with lots of folks obviously labor unions and other community partners about how can we get this thing rolling and make sure that not only do we keep the brewers because they are a part of this state, right? That's the one part that they make. That's right. They try to get us to feel ownership, but let's get real ownership folks. Let's rethink what brewer ownership means. Thank you, Michael, for coming on today and talking with us. Thank you for discussing this important topic. And uh, I look forward to hearing uh, how your movement and we we will not stop we're going to continue to push on this folks we gotta go we're going to wrap up this battleground wisconsin again we thank dr michael rosen for joining us we thank our producer brian wooldridge folks it is labor day weekend we'd be remiss if we didn't say get out to labor day events i'll be out in milwaukee and i think you folks know what i'll be talking about we'll see you folks out at labor fest get out enjoy this weekend, and we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.